Hello, welcome back to this series of lessons, Be Ye Transformed. This is Moses Gumadi and uh, we are in the lesson number five, which is serving the Lord as a community, serving the Lord as a community. So we looked at the first lesson in the first episode, why do we exist and what is God's purpose? Just a quick review. And we saw it is to love God, to build character, to serve the Lord, to grow in his knowledge, to perform good works, and essentially to be transformed into the image of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the second lesson we, we dealt with was about the obstacles that are there to the service of the Lord or to achieve God's purpose in our lives. And those obstacles are ignorance, external observances, false priorities, fleshy lusts, sin, nature, and Satan. This is what we have observed. In the third lesson, we looked at understanding the cross of Christ. And as a part of it, we considered the fact that there are two natures in man and that man is in bondage under sin or in bondage under his sin nature. In order to redeem men from their predicament, the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, and when he died on the cross, he was made sin for us. And God condemned sin in the flesh. Sin was condemned on the cross. As, a, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man was lifted up. Notice the picture of the serpent lifted up. Sin was condemned on the cross. Fourth lesson was about the transformation by the renewing of mind. Transformation by the renewing of mind. We had introduced the concept of Abigail and Nabal and David. The example of Abigail, Nabal and David from 1 Samuel chapter 25 in the third lesson and compared it to Romans chapter 7. And that's where we have looked at these two natures existing within man, not only believer but also unbeliever, and we have established this fact very well. But in the last episode, which is the episode number four, we looked at the question of the origin of Abigail because there are some believers, some Christians who deny the existence of anything that is good within a man, which is not correct and which is not uh, scriptural. There is a part, the Spirit of God, which is given to people, the Spirit of man, which is the inspiration of the Almighty. We have looked at several verses. We looked at the origin of Abigail. We looked at the origin of Nabal and how Nabal works. And then aimed, uh, armed with that knowledge, then we looked at how can we be transformed uh, in our minds to serve the Lord and to fulfill his purpose that he has for each one of us. And the crux of transformation is this that if you are able to see this in the video, then we have two pictures here. One that of the unbeliever's mindset and that one, the other one is of the believer's mindset. In the, in the first one, Abigail is in 
uh, is in a, he lives with the mentality of having been married to Nabal and Nabal uh, he exercises dominion over her so this is uh, the sense of false ego Nabal is your false ego he wants to achieve everything to satisfy his own ego that's how your life works but I am crucified with Christ is what Paul said which means your ego is crucified with Christ that is when Nabal is nailed to the cross the old man is nailed to the cross an old man is crucified then you can live as Christ living in you uh, the example being Abigail married to David and therefore the transformation is from a state of Abigail married to Nabal to another new state of Abigail married to David this is the transformation so we come to the topic of our lesson which is serving the Lord as a community the reason why we talked about the community is because we are not alone and uh, as I said earlier that our Abigail nature comes from God from all of from all of our Abigail nature comes from God and the Nabal nature comes from the devil the lusts of your father you do he said in John chapter 8 verse 44 he that committed sin is of the devil and so there is a unity uh, within Nabal across all the people Nabal is a single entity across all the people and that one single entity called sin is nailed to the cross when the Lord Jesus Christ died similarly the Abigail is also connected and it is the daughter of the father just as uh, we are all children of God as it is written in Acts chapter 17 Paul said all people not only believers also unbelievers too are the offspring of God and you have to accept that there is no escape from this fact Paul said it in Acts chapter 17 verse 28 and because of that we have to act together uh, as believers and of course and the reason why we don't act together with unbelievers is because obviously their ways are not correct but then our intention then is to spread the net we form a group of Christian people godly people who know the way the truth and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and as a community if we live in a certain manner and extend our borders to include others as we sow the seed and the kingdom is extended that's the concept serving the Lord as a community I'll talk about two ways in which we can uh, consider the community two metaphors one that of the temple and the other that of a man temple and a man let's consider the temple first okay within the temple itself there are three kinds of temples or three levels of temples that you can consider one is this big temple let's say if you're if you're looking at the video in the video here on the screen you have a big temple just a structure there within that these red ones smaller temples and within the red smaller temples there are yet smaller temples the blue ones and so you see a hierarchy of temples there and you notice the one in the middle which is a blue temple it doesn't exist within the red one but it exists within the yellow one the bigger one 
and I will explain to you what these are. Basically, there are three kinds, as I said, three temples. And what are they? They are individual, local, and universal. There's a temple of the individual, temple at a local level, and temple at the universal level. Notice the one in the middle, as I said, the blue one, individual, sometimes may not be a part of a local temple, yet is a part of the universal because of various circumstances. So three levels of temples. Let's look at the individual first. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, Paul says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So here the reference is to the physical body, the body, the, the body of the individual. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's the individual is the temple of God. Well, only, of course, when the Lord's glory is living. Okay. So that's the individual. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said when he was in this world, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they accused him, saying, 40 and 6 years was this temple in construction, was being, being built. How can you destroy it and raise it up in three days? But John says in, the, in that verse that he spoke of the temple of his body. And so similarly, when God's light, God's spirit, God's presence and his life and his glory is within us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery, Paul said, Colossians chapter 1. And so what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? That's the individual. But in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17, Paul talks about the local church, which is the local temple. Know you not, know ye not, that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye, or ye are. So that is the local level, temple at a local level. Coming to the universal church, universal. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 to 22, we read, You are built up upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So it is one single building, all the building. And there may be some other translations in which it is written every building. No, not so. He's not talking about multiple buildings locally, but he's talking about one single building, all the building that groweth together as a holy temple, singular, in the Lord. And so we are all built together as a habit, built together as a habitation of God. That's the universal temple. The Lord wants to live among his people. That is the key. So three kinds of temples we saw. And then we have three different things we need to consider within the temple, three aspects. Firstly, foundation. And secondly, stones. 
a finally habitation foundation no temple is built without a foundation paul says in 1 corinthians chapter 3 verses 11 to 12 for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is jesus christ now if any man built upon this foundation build upon this foundation gold silver precious stones wood hay and stubble then of course uh, it will stand depending on how how you build isn't it the foundation is the lord jesus christ but we are asked to build either with gold silver precious stones or wood hay and stubble and the day shall declare it he says in the, if you continue to read in that passage because god is going to test it our works with respect to the building of the temple one day and if it has been built with gold silver and precious stones then it will endure it will stand but if we had built it with wood hay and stubble it will be destroyed and so we do our work not to please other men or to show ourselves in front of others but to really please the lord and benefit truly benefit his people that would be gold silver and precious stones anything that is done for self glory or for self um aggrandization or those sort of things or to prove your point or beat your drum or you know ride your uh, you know pet pet doctrine etc wood hay and stubble now upon the foundation obviously the temple is built with stones stones and who are the stones peter says in 1 peter 2 5 6 we all know this ye also as living stones lively stones or living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god by jesus christ so what's the point the point is that we are the stones the lord jesus is the foundation we are the stones you cannot build a temple without jesus christ being the foundation stone the chief cornerstone if he is absent if it is not built properly with him being the foundation then the whole building will collapse remember the the parable the lord jesus christ gave in matthew chapter 7 if a man builds his house upon a rock and the storms come and it is still solid is staying solid it doesn't fall whereas in case of another foolish man who builds the house upon sand and that is destroyed and so foundation is essential so are the stones living stones why living the whole building is living the whole temple is alive that is the point temple is alive and we are the stones habitation god will dwell among his people ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 and we are built up upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that is the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets jesus christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a temple holy temple in the lord in whom also in whom you also are built together for an habitation of god through the spirit the lord must dwell in the temple otherwise what's the point you can build something into which the lord wouldn't want to come if it is unholy 
And so a proper temple is when you have a proper foundation, a living stones, and then of course God's own habitation, his dwelling within the temple. And there are three kinds of these temples, so three levels, one at the individual level, another at the local level, and finally at the universal level. Remember the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they used to camp in the wilderness around the tabernacle. And there is an order and uh, uh, different tribes are located at different places according to the order. And the glory of the Lord would rest upon the tabernacle, directly pointing above the Ark of the Covenant. And in fact, it may be even getting inside the tabernacle uh, and resting upon the mercy seat, as it were. And only the high priest is allowed to go into that place once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, as it is written in Leviticus chapter 16. And so if you can see in the picture, there is this glory, the glory uh, represented by the pillar of fire, also sometimes the pillar of cloud. When Solomon dedicated the temple, the Lord's glory and the, the fire came from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, and the, the cloud surrounded the temple, as we can read. And so the Lord's glory must dwell. Okay. Coming back to the two metaphors, we dealt with the temple. We'll talk about the man. The man. One body, one body, body of the man. So we being many are one body in Christ. And everyone members one of another. Romans 12.5 And Colossians we read, And he is the head of the body, the church. We have a head and we have the body. Here is the man on the picture, if you can see. And this head is Christ. And we are the body. Head is Christ, we are the body. There are two representations, of course. There is a local representation. There is also uh, the universal representation. The book of Ephesians and Colossians deals with the universal representation of the body of Christ. Universal. The one new man of, of which the head is Christ and the, and the body. And the, the one below the head is the body, the church. And God wants to head up the whole thing, the heavens and the earth together in Christ. Head up. Meaning, he wants to grow that body into the grow the one new man, into a super large entity, to, to be an all-inclusive reality into which they are all gathered together. All things in heaven and all things on earth are gathered together in Christ. He, that is his final, that is his purpose that he wants to achieve. You read Ephesians chapter 1. The God has made known unto us the mystery of his will that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things which are in Christ even in him. The things in heaven, things on earth um, and, uh, and he will gather them together. That's the intention. So we have this head and the body. Keeping these two pictures in mind 
one that of the temple and the other of the body. We ought to do these things. Four things I have here. To serve the Lord as a community together, we need to keep in mind these four things. Firstly, sanctity of the temple. Sanctity of the temple. It is very important that the temple is sanctified. It's a sanctuary for the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory will not dwell in any random place. In a special way. Of course, the Lord is present everywhere. We read in the book of Jeremiah that he fills the whole heavens and the earth. He's there everywhere. In fact, if you take an atom, 99.999999% of an atom is empty space. The protons and neutrons are in the center and the electrons are going around. If you crush them all together, the remaining is all empty space. And the Lord fills that too. In fact, if you take the whole of reality, all people put together, if you take off all the empty space and crush them into something, I think they say that you'll be of a sugar crystal size or something. Not an individual, a bunch of whole, whole people. So the thing really is, what we really see in this world as being tangible and as being hard and, uh, you know, tangible substance, which is very hard physically, isn't it? But really, all of it is nothing. Most of it is empty space. Empty space. And the Lord fills the whole heaven and the whole earth. That's there. But I'm talking about the Lord's special presence. His glory cannot dwell in a, in a sinful environment or in an environment where there is no holiness. And therefore, this is very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Okay. So whether it's a temple at an individual level or a local church or the universal, fornication, that includes a lot of things. That includes a lot of things. Everything that is wrong is wrong. There's no doubt about that. The word fornication comes from the Greek word porneia. So you know. Right. Let's read the next one. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 to 4. But fornication and all uncleanness, uncleanness, or covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. We are Christians. We are believers. We are sanctified people. We ought not to do all these sort of things. We should not even let them be named amongst us. We need to get back to basics. All this evil joking uh, with, a, uh, you know, jesting, foolish talking is not at all encouraged. In the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 verse 12. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in of them in secret. Everyone knows what they do in their own private life in secret. But here is the thing. Such things are not to be so. You have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness 
darkness. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We have to obviously being in the world have to interact with unbelievers. However, don't be unequally yoked. Meaning, two oxen bearing the same yoke, working together towards the same objective. If you are working in a secular job, obviously you have to do that to some extent, but you need to set your mind in such a way that the objective of your work is done as unto the Lord, as benefiting to the customers of your company, and also from a viewpoint that what you earn is used for obviously not only your family but also to others and that God is glorified in all that you do. So it's the mindset. Do not share the goals, the worldly goals, and the worldly um, objectives of the unbelievers but rather align your work even if it's the same work, not much different. The alignment matters be not unequally yoked with together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? If a company is resorting to unrighteous practices, or uh, if your partnership in a business or in anything, if there is unrighteousness, it is not to be so. We have to depart from such uh, alliances and relationships and partnerships where there is unrighteousness. And what communion hath light with darkness? So sanctity of the temple is what we looked at. The second point being members one of another. When serving the Lord as a community, we need to remember that we are members one of another. The stones are set in an order. One stone supports the other and provides a support and structure to other. Above all, the picture of the body is really very good here. Members one of another. In a body, every cell in the body or every organ in the body has its own role. And uh, we have to think like that. An eye cannot say to the foot or foot cannot say to the hand, oh, I don't need you or you're not required or you're low or you're high or whatever. Because every everything has got its own role. And therefore, the attitude that we are encouraged to have in the scriptures is this. Two things. One, attitude towards ourselves and attitudes, attitude towards others. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according, to, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So this is again from the book of Romans, chapter 12 which we've been looking at. And so the first thing is then, self-estimation has to be practical and always think ourselves to be, um, not don't think ourselves to be higher than what we really are. That's the first thing. The second thing, when we think about others, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. So when we do things, I think this is, this is a self-examination thing, isn't it? I can't judge you, you can't judge me what I'm doing. Only God can judge our hearts. But really, what must be done is that we should not let strife proving a point to somebody else or 
you know even doing god's work um as a matter of scoring points over the others or even for beating our own drum isn't right it must be done in lowliness of mind esteeming each other esteeming the other person better than themselves so two things we have not thinking about ourselves more than more highly than we ought to think more highly than the real status and then at the same time esteeming others to be better this attitude will set us in a good position because obviously everyone have their own place you see a heart may say well i am the most important organ i am functioning all the time throughout in the uh, in the life uh, but the foot uh, is down below it is bearing the i don't really care whether the foot is important or not just imagine somebody uh, breaks his foot or if the foot has to be amputated then what the person loses the locomotion and the heart is a heart cannot carry the person like the foot does and so everyone has their own place and we know this so there is no point in uh, having our own uh, you know attitudes so members one of another that's that's the key armed with these two things sanctity in the temple and the right attitude between the members of the body we have to then serve the lord serving inside serving outside let's talk about serving inside when we talk about serving inside in the body the cells function not only for themselves but also for the other cells every organ functions not only for itself but also for the other organs because they are all interconnected chemically mechanically dynamically through fluids uh, electrically electric the, the electric current flows through the body uh, through the body in fact heart beats because of the flow of electric current in the nerves electric current flows through that that's a ionic electric current you can say in in the brain so there are electrical mechanical and informational and chemical connections between the organs and material of course which which flows through from uh, you know the blood from 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 the heart to the lungs and then there there after the kidneys etc and to the rest of the body so then look not every man in on his own things but every man also on the things of others so we ought to look at one another's needs and help each other and that is the key in 1 corinthians 12 it says very plainly if one member suffers all suffer with it and one member rejoices all should rejoice with them so if you are a part of a local church i think this is how it ought to be but a local church that is that is in holy that doesn't have christ as the foundation that doesn't have glory of god dwelling in it and going to work okay not only that so the the focus being when we talk about serving the lord internally within the body or within the temple the focus is to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace the integrity of the one new man the integrity of the body must be kept at all cost 
and therefore our own pet doctrines and divisions and our own opinions and those sort of things should not matter. We should put them aside. There are only seven principles upon which the unity of the Spirit can be kept together in the bond of peace. And they are these. Paul mentions them in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. One body, there's one body. So you keep the unity of the Spirit. There's one hope. All of us have one hope. So somebody says, I don't have a hope of why I don't believe this. Then, of course, there's not they're not part of the body. That's understandable. But when there is one hope, that should be a reason to keep the unity of the Spirit. One Lord, one God, one Spirit. One God, of course, there's only one God, not three. And He is one Lord because He exercises His government, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the Lord of the church. And one Spirit flows through the body, from the head, all over and energizes and empowers us to act. And one faith, a faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one true way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. That's the foundation. As one faith. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. That is the faith. And one baptism, well, we have a baptism of the water, we have baptism of the Spirit, and the baptism into his death. We read it in Romans chapter 6. Know you not that we are baptized into his death? In Colossians chapter 2, we read about the circumcision made without hands, spiritual circumcision. And then he mentions in the same context the baptism into the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that baptism? It is not water. So while you may baptize with the water, that is not the issue. The issue is somebody may do it, you know, dip them three times. Somebody may dip only once. Somebody may, um, you know, do it differently. Well, there may be a right way of doing or a wrong way of doing. That's all right. But that is not, that is not, I repeat, a matter that should divide the unity of the Spirit. There are these facts. These are the seven factors and they are the only one. And the one baptism that must bind us all together is the common baptism of all of us into the death of Christ. Those Know ye not that our old man is crucified with Christ and we are all buried with him into his death. So that's, that's the thing. That's the one baptism. Read Romans chapter 6. And Colossians 2. So these are the seven things that keep the unity of the Spirit. Any sort of um, distinctive behavior or a superiority complex of one denomination over the other or one group of Christians over the other. Oh, we are the best and they are... Uh, these sort of things ought not to be. You are dividing the unity of the Spirit. And so only these seven, and that's it. You, we have to tolerate the uh, other differences in opinions, remembering the fact that we live in 2020 and have not learned the true doctrine 
from Apostle Paul then passed on to Timothy and Timothy's uh, other people whom Timothy has passed, it has not come down in a chain. Let me tell you, if it has come down to somebody, you know, or the church fathers of the Catholic Church, things have gotten corrupt in the, in the middle. And therefore we do not, we do not have an unbroken chain of pure tradition starting from the apostles except the scriptures that we have. And we all study the scriptures and people have different opinions on various minor points. That is the reason why we ought to stick to these seven. Where there are differences, tolerate one another, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then of course there are a lot of one another passages that are there throughout the New Testament which I have listed here. You can pause and look at them, love one another, Forbear one another, forgive one another, admonish one another, prefer one another, serve one another, speak truth with each other, submit one another, comfort one another, edify, that is built up, build up one another, exhort one another. There are don'ts as well, don't hate one another, don't judge one another, don't judge, don't provoke one another, don't envy one another, don't devour one another. We have all these things in the New Testament. And these are the principles based on which we can serve the Lord within, inside the church, inside the community, inside the temple, within the body. And not only we are the stones, but also we are priests to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Very interesting. Not only we are the stones of the temple, but we are also priests who conduct the service within the temple, which Peter makes it very clear in 1 Peter chapter 2. In the same passage where he says we are lively stones or living stones, he says we are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. It is about showing forth the praises of God. Spiritual sacrifices are the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice, the the um, the offering of the calves is a fruit of what's the what's the phrase used? The the calves of our lips, the prophet says in the Old Testament. That's the service inside. Let's talk about service outside. Service outside. How do we serve the Lord as we serve others outside the church? And we ought to have. And we ought to do that as well. I'll talk about four things uh, within the service of God's people when they serve others outside the church, outside the temple. Four things. Firstly, remember, and this is very important because people tend to have very bad manners and judging sort of a mentality and they deal with the Gentiles and unbelievers very rashly, very harshly, and very in an unchristian manner. All men were created in Christ and live in God. You must remember that. All men were created in Christ and live in God. No, this is not wrong. No, no, it is right. I will show you how. In Acts chapter 17. Paul preaching one of his major gospel preaching effort, uh, you know, episode in, in, in Acts chapter 17 in uh, the city of Athens. 
Paul's preaching is recorded in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, and thereafter here as well in Acts chapter 17. And this is one of the major uh, uh, portion that is written concerning him preaching the gospel in the book of Acts. And he teaches, or he preaches to the unbelievers, the Athenian philosophers, Stoics and Epicureans, saying that God intended to he divided up all the nations and put different borders at different times. So the borders evolve. People move all over. You read it carefully. That they should seek the Lord if happily, happily, sorry, perhaps that is happily, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And we are also his offspring. All men were created in Christ and they live in God. We all live in God, according to Acts chapter 17. Now here is the thing, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 18, we read, For in him were all things created. In the King James Bible it says, By him were all things created. And that is true, of course, but God created things by him. No, no, no problem with that. However, in the Greek it says, For in him. In, N is the word in Greek. So in him were all things created. What, it, what does it mean? The entire creation is created in Christ. No, I'm not saying it. Paul is saying it. You, if you have never heard it as a Christian in your life until now, I said it, but that's your mistake and our, our own mistake, uh, perhaps. But this is a fact. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. In him, in Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And they were created in him, in the first phrase. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. They all continue to endure and exist because they exist within him. Okay? This is exactly the same as what we read in Acts chapter 17, where in him, in God we live. Here we read everything is created in Christ. And therefore my statement that all men were created in Christ and live in God is scripturally accurate. And if this is sounding to be different from our beliefs, you know, I, there's, there's no need, I don't apologize. It's because of materialism and Western philosophy that people have failed to grasp this fundamental truth. In fact, where does Paul get this idea from? That all things were created in Christ. I'll show you where he gets it from. He gets it from the book of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Bereshit bara Elohim etha shamaim veetha aretz. In Hebrew. First word is Bereshit. Be means in. Reshit, the beginning. Reshit. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, we read that his, his name is in the, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The beginning is used in Colossians chapter 1. Also in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. Revelation 3 14. The Lord Jesus Christ says. Whose, he says whose name is Amen. And the beginning of the creation of God. What, may, what does it mean? It means the entire creation is created within the beginning. In the beginning means in 
that is inside the beginning, the entity or the matrix or the structure, the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Be-reshit bara Elohim et ha-shemaim Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. He said, you read it, Revelation 3.14, Colossians 1, 1 to 16 to 20, you read, you will find it. His name is called the beginning, which is the same as in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Rashid. And so in Christ were all things created. Why are we harping on this point? When we serve the Lord, you know, with respect to people outside the church, we need to remember that they too are, were created in Christ and they live in God. The only difference is that they do not realize it. They do not realize and they do not live in that consciousness because they do not believe it. They do not believe it. So, let's look at the second point. The unbelievers don't believe or act in the manner they do, or hate Christians, reject Christ, and do all kinds of evil and all that stuff because of a single reason. We've already looked at Nabal, etc. in the past. This single reason is very important, and if you keep in mind, you'll act very kindly with respect to those other people when we, when we deal with them, is this. It is that they're in ignorance. Unbelievers are in ignorance. Who says it? The Lord said it. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18, Paul says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So the Gentiles, he talks about the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says that they have their understanding darkened and they are alienated from the life of God. Remember, in my previous episode, I talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Abigail and Nabal together is a good and evil. Whereas, Nabal, with Nabal dead and Abigail marrying David, and David corresponds to the life, is a consciousness of the tree of life uh, versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is Abigail and Nabal together is a tree of um, the knowledge of good and evil, Abigail and David together is the tree of life. That's the correspondence. They are alienated from the life of God because of what? Because of the ignorance. They do not know. Ignorance. Which is why Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that it is the will of God that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Knowledge of the truth. And so they are in ignorance. Not only that, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, while he was on the cross, they nailed him to the cross. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not. You see, these soldiers, on the one hand, and the Jews, on the other hand, the Jewish leaders, they had their own knowledge. It is not that they are altogether ignorant or altogether innocent. Of course not. However, if you dig down deep, the Lord considers them as being ignorant. They know not. Why are they doing the way they are doing? Because of deep-rooted ignorance. They know not what they do. And therefore, 
he already prayed that they may be forgiven. That they may be forgiven. If he does forgive all, all of them, if he forgives, don't be like the elder son who was not happy about the return of the prodigal. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. You see, there is only one single um, coat the Lord Jesus Christ had. Without a seam, one single coat. But they parted. The parting of the raiments shows, the raiment shows that everyone is seeking their own. And they are cutting one thing, they are, they, are, they are dividing it up. As though they are dividing up the Lord. I mean, of course not. They are dividing up his raiment. Taking every, for each one for his own. That ought not to be. And why do they do that? Because they know not. Paul himself, in 1 Timothy, he says, he too was ignorant. Paul wasn't ignorant. Paul was a highly educated man. He studied the Torah, the Tanakh. He, was, he studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And perhaps he was a member of the Sanhedrin. If not, maybe his teacher was the member of the Sanhedrin, surely Gamaliel. And he was not like an ordinary guy. And he heard Peter. There is no doubt about that at all. Because at that time he was present, although it is not written. He, he as a Jew, was supposed to be present in, in, in that place and he knew it. Because he was persecuting the church later on. So he knew the whole story. Even if he was not present at that time when Peter, Peter preached, he heard Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7. All the scriptures that Stephen has quoted, he knew. Yet, we read that he rejected, he killed Christians, he persecuted, he was a blasphemer, persecutor, injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Think about it. The Lord showed him mercy because he did not believe. Why? Because he did not believe, because he was ignorant. That is why he did not believe. And therefore, God shows mercy. This is what we read in the book of Romans, chapter 11, that he will have mercy upon all. God has concluded them all in unbelief, so that he might have mercy upon all. Yes, initially, in the first stage, the Lord will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy according to his own sovereign will. Of course, he will choose, we can choose, and he will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. There is no doubt. You read that. It's there in the book of Romans, chapter 9. But thereafter, subsequently, when Paul develops that argument, in chapter 11, Paul says that God has concluded them all in unbelief so that he might have mercy upon all. Paul himself was ignorant. So this is the thing. So firstly, all men were created in Christ. And all men live in God. They just don't know. And therefore they don't believe. And they are acting according to their own self-interest and living in sin. That is the situation. Why? Because they are ignorant. They are in ignorance. God's will is to save all men. All men, every man and woman and child. His will is to save everyone. Any, well, you can tolerate people who disagree with this view and treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they will be saved, of course. They believe in the salvation. They believe in the name of Christ. 
and so they, they are saved. But it is not true. It is not true that uh, only some will, uh, you know, God intended, intends only some to be saved and not at all. Um, Hyper-Calvinism, of course, is is great error, great error. And uh, run away from it if you embrace it. God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. He will have all men to be saved. And I tell you, he will have his will. Okay, eventually. In 1 Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. This is the pleasure of the Father. It pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. The point is, the entire creation was in fact created in Christ. In the beginning, in the Reshit, in the beginning was God, God created the heaven and the earth. And we saw that in Colossians and Christ's name is the beginning of the creation of God. In God we live and move and have our being. But people do not consciously live as being in him. That's the point. That's the point. And God's pleasure and his will is that in him should all fullness dwell consciously. Everyone realizes to that, that point and consciously dwell uh, all fullness, the entire pleroma, that's the word, fullness is pleroma, dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether they, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, all things he wants to reconcile. If you read Colossians 1 verses 16 to 20, everything that is created in Christ and everything is created in Christ, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, but everything that is created in Christ will be reconciled. This is the truth. This is the truth. And if you are, if you if you find it surprising, it is because of corruption of truth that has happened over hundreds of years since the the original Christianity, original Christian doctrine that was taught during the times of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. Of course, there are many scriptures which teach the punishment of sinners and we believe in the punishment of sinners, but literal interpretation, hard literal interpretation and interpreting them in the modern, uh, from a modern perspective and misinterpreting words, etc. has caused uh, the current confusion. And the, the point being, that God intends to and will reconcile all things to himself. And this is the truth of the scriptures. It is God's will to save all men. And so we ought to behave in a certain manner with respect to outsiders. And we have this duty of do, doing good works. The light of our good works must shine before men. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Instead of criticizing them and instead of uh, uh, you know, shooting and attacking them, what we ought to do is to do good works and thereby shine our light so that men, when they see our good works, they will glorify God seeing those good works. That is what we ought to do rather than go in an attack mode as most Christians, many Christians nowadays tend to tend to tend to do. 
for example, attacking Muslims and blaspheming the name of Allah, for example, without knowing that the word, uh, that word is the word for God in the Arabic Bible and it is derived from the Hebrew uh, word Eloah. The evangelicals in, in America and uh, some uh, sometimes behave very, very badly. This is not what we ought to do. Let your light so shine before men that we may see, uh, that they may see uh, our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And so these are the four things that we ought to remember when we're serving outsiders, that all men were created in Christ and live in God. Unbelievers are in ignorance and it is God's will to save all men. And finally, the light of our good works must shine before men. All these four correspond to the last point, which is about serving outside. So we looked at four things. We looked at sanctity of the temple, members one of another. With these two, we have to render our service, service inside and service outside. I trust this series was useful. We had five lessons uh, and I have uploaded all of them in uh, the YouTube. And if you just click, I think, under the description, I've also posted uh, mp3 files that uh, you can listen. For example, if you are on a driving or if you're walking or something, something you can listen mp3 files as well, which are uploaded in, in the archive. Please do forward these things to your friends if you think that these will be useful for them. And uh, may the Lord help us to walk in his ways and to do his will in our lives and that through that he might receive glory and honor and praise. Thank you very much and thank you for watching and I will see you again in the next video on the next subject.